Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. There you go. All right. I am going to read from John chapter 15 this morning as we close out a series of of Jesus I Am statements. And uh, so we're going to read John 15. Uh, We're going to start in in verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 17. So we'll be be working through this passage, and then we're going to pray and and see what it is uh, that we can, can draw from this as we focus on the idea that Jesus says that he is the vine. The scripture says this in, in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You do not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to the conclusion of a a look at, at four different statements each one of which you declare that you are, you say, I am. And then you proceed to tell us who you are. First a claim to deity and then a a revelation and hopefully for us a realization of who you are to us and what we have in Christ. We've come to I am the vine. And here we we land on a discussion, Lord, about what it means 
to be connected to you and what it means to simply rest in you and to be connected to you and to receive all the good that, that you give to us as long as we remain. And yet that remaining and resting produces something. You working through us. Lord, as we come to this text and this topic, it can be so easy to mistake the good news of the gospel for a command to do good and to do more. And we pray that we would not make that mistake and get under the burden that we must perform in order to earn your love. But it is also possible to make the mistake of saying, because you love us, we need never do anything. And so help us to make the connection between your grace and being in you and having you and being new creations and also being obedient children who are zealous for good works, because that's what the scriptures say that you came to accomplish. You came to, to draw to yourself and to purify yourself of people who are full of good works, who are zealous for them. We want to honor you in all that we do, and so we don't want to make either of these mistakes, Lord. We want to live right in the center of your will. We want to run the race with endurance. We want to, to live in freedom and with great joy. And we want to see you as Lord and Savior. And we want to see Father as encourager. And we want to see the Holy Spirit as, as the one who fills us with power and who delights to see you, Lord Jesus, glorified. And so we pray that you would speak to us now from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus says in the scriptures that he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then we explored the idea that he is indeed good in the midst of each and every circumstance. And then we looked at on Easter Sunday the fact that Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And, and that teaches us that he is life from the dead. And he is the, the power of resurrection that we need, that our, our sins kill us even though we live physically and that we need his physical resurrection to raise us spiritually for our justification. And then last week we looked at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, and we discovered that he is the meaning and the answer. That, that he is not only the only source of, of light, the only uh, vantage point in which we have a full realization of all of what God desires for us. He's the, the truest expression of everything good, but that he's also the answer to every need and every problem in the world. He's the light of the world. Outside of that light is darkness. And so as we conclude looking at these statements, we're going to consider that he says, I am the vine. Uh, it would be a mistake to hear all of these messages I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection, I am the light of the world, and to think we need to go and to do that. When Jesus 
says that he is the one who is accomplishing it and that that he is the one who brings spiritual power when jesus says i am the vine he's saying he is the center and he is our strength we can ask the question as we look at this text here if he is the vine and i am the branch what's the the connection where does the vine end and the branch begin how does that work what's the relationship between the two in real life on a on a day-to-day basis i asked a professor years ago in seminary if i am to be filled with and led by and empowered by the holy spirit i really only need the answer to one question and he said what's that i said who gets out of bed in the morning right like like where does the first impulse come from Right? Like, is it, is it the Spirit impelling me, or am I, I, am I acting and then acting under the influence of the Spirit? Like, who's really in control here? And he says, when you wake up, get out of bed and trust that the Spirit is working in you. The, the connection is, is difficult for us to figure out. And so um, we need to answer the question as we look at this text. What does the word abide mean? Because it shows up over and over and over again. That's going to be our answer to the, to the connection between the vine and the branch, where he begins and we end, or where he ends and we begin. The word abide shows up 105 times in the scriptures. It's an important word. It, it can mean remain, dwell, continue, endure, stay. Uh, some older Bibles use the fancy word tarry that we don't use very much anymore. Uh, but that's a, that's a good, it's a good word. It means to linger or to, uh, to spend time. Have you, ever, have you ever had a meeting with somebody, catching up with somebody, maybe a conversation with a, with a love interest, with your spouse, right? You know, and you, you've determined you're going to spend 20 minutes eating breakfast or drinking coffee or you're like i'm just gonna gonna take this lunch break and you look down at your watch and it's been two and a half hours or your phone right who wears a watch anymore um you you're 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 looking and you're like man how did the time go and then you look back and you think i was just enjoying this and spending the time and i just continued here i remained i i tarried i lingered and that's where my time went that's the, that's the meaning of the word abide. It's to, to linger. John uses this word meno or abide over 85 times in the New Testament. And John uses it over and over again to describe the perseverance of the believer in relationship to Christ. It's, it's the believer's focus on Christ. It's his attitude on Jesus in the day to day. That, that this is the, the spiritual place that's difficult to pry us out of, you know? Um, on, on some rare occasions, I have to remind my teenagers two, three, four times to get out of bed and get moving. Because bed is a place that you linger, right? For the spiritual uh, Christian, uh, activity is not paramount remaining connected to Christ is paramount. This is the, the mistake that, that Martha makes, that Jesus is honored with much serving 
And he is honored with much serving, but not at the expense of the things that are most important. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and would serve. But Martha thought activity would be what would honor. Abiding comes first and service comes second. When I I covered this passage uh, in in the pulpit back in in 2010, I preached a number of messages, but the first message in the series on John 15 was that the secret of living, the secret of living the Christian life is this idea of fruit-bearing, that we are called to do good works to glorify God. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15, so we don't get too into what I think or my grid, but that we stay close to the text. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, right? If you are a grape vine branch, you have one job, and that is to make grapes, right? We're not talking about the the, the prettiness of the the leaves. We're not talking about length increase as a vine. You know, we're not talking about making progress in producing shoots and suckers and all that other stuff that that vines might do. No, when it comes down to what the the vine dresser, and that's the father here, is, is, is after, the reason that you are connected is that fruit would be produced. And so as the Christian, we say our task the reason why we exist is to do good works and to glorify god that's why we were created right this is why god put the moon in the sky to reflect the glory of the sun at night right the moon has no function it's just a dark rock apart from the the sun it doesn't shine like the sun shines it reflects That's who we are. So the secret of living is fruit bearing. If we just add Jesus to our life and think this will make my spiritual life better, but it doesn't filter and sift into the actions that we engage on a regular basis, we are missing out on the secret of living and we will struggle. The secret of living is bearing fruit. The secret of bearing fruit, how do we do it? is abiding by remaining in him, by finding our strength and our source in him, by by remaining dependent, right? If you want to control the vines in your yard, uh, we had these um, we had these plants. I don't know what exactly they are, um, but they they grow on the ground, you know, and they they put out shoots and suckers, and then they eventually start climbing up these these big leel and cypresses we have in our backyard. I would rip the the branches and the suckers off, right? But you know, when I when I had cleared enough of the the debris on the ground, my strategy shifted. This is after a couple of months of living in the house. I would just find the biggest root and I'd cut like a six inch section out of it, and then I just let it all die. No no more problem. Right? The secret of fruit bearing in the Christian life is to constantly remain connected to Jesus and to find our strength and our source in Him. Well, how do we do that then? What is the secret of abiding? Because there is one. That's kind of the way John has constructed all that. And we'll we'll get to it. The secret 
of abiding. If I'm like, let's close in prayer, and I haven't said it clearly and loudly, somebody like throw something soft at me, okay? I'd appreciate that. No Bibles, no phones, no tomatoes, no tomatoes in cans. Um, yeah, just, just be like, you didn't say it. If he is the, the vine, how do I branch? That's what we're asking. How do, I, how do I remain in him? Okay, there are some ways in which we could do this, but we'll drive to the secret as we move on. One of the ways in which we abide is we pray. John 15, 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that doesn't mean, you know, it's like, it's like I want a pony, you know. And, 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 and you're going to be driving down the street. Now you might live somewhere where you would see a pony on the street. And that has happened to someone in this room where they've seen a horse in the road. And they're like, what is going on here? Anyway, that's kind of an aside. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is just going to give us anything that we want. It's that when we are connected to him and we have his priorities in mind and we are praying and asking, asking consistent with God's will, there will be prayers answered. It will happen. Now, we're not just talking morning and evening prayers, kind of, dear God, thank you for this day, bless my day, and evening prayer, thank you for this day, you know, thank you that I didn't get hit by any trucks, you know, thank you, go to sleep, and then thank you for this food kind of prayer, but ongoing connected prayer throughout the day, battle prayer in times of temptation, protect me, Lord, help me to remain faithful to you. Praying before we go into meetings or appointments and saying, Lord, I want to glorify you in this, right? The, the, the psalmist prays, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. Think of the, the center of biblical wisdom as it's expressed in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The only Bible verse that some politicians seem to know outside of John 3.16. Just because it's a popular verse doesn't mean it's not intensely relevant. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know what that means? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. That means even when you're like, I got skills. I'm good at what I do. I've got this. That we say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust in you now. Help me to remain humble at the thing that I've done 10,000 times and I'm good at. <coughs> Depending and praying in dependence. Force yourself to your knees to ask the Lord to fill you. One thing that we do not do well as human beings is depend. We learn all kinds of ways to not depend on God. That might mean we manipulate others around us. It might mean that we barrel through life, forcing our personality on others. It might mean that we just, we ease the path ahead of us with dollar bills. We just pay, 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 right? You know, there are ways of getting stuff done that, that don't require us to depend. Prayer puts us in a place where we acknowledge now, I don't routinely sell you books, but let me tell you what, there's an awesome, I'm not actually selling a book here, by the way. I'm referring you to Amazon, who will sell you a book. Um, uh, but but there's, a, there's a great schedule out there you might be interested. You set your phone to go off three times a day, right? And get yourself a, a, a copy of the book, Valley of Vision, which is just Puritan prayers. 
right? You open one up every time the alarm goes off. You open it up. You read the prayer. Pray it as if it's your own prayer. Let me tell you what. They will push your face in the dust, and you will grow in some degree in humility because these guys, they, they will pray things that will draw out the idolatry and the independence in your life. We abide, first of all, by praying. We also uh, pray, or we abide by being sappy, right? By, by being, not, I don't mean like overly emotional and like publicly embarrassing, um, but, by, but by being in that place, by being connected to what expresses the fullness of Jesus. Jesus tells the Pharisees that the whole scriptures speak of him. They look through it, looking at it as a topical book for understanding eternal life or, or how to survive judgment. But the scriptures weren't written as a how-to book for perfect living. They were written to point us to Jesus. And so staying in the scriptures and saying, how do I see the vine? How do I see Jesus here? Not just reading and saying, I am accomplishing my salvation by, by reading four chapters a day. And God is happy with me today because I got up this morning and I read my four chapters. And that will reduce the incidence of flat tires and, and, and bills. You know, because I've obviously done something good and therefore God will treat me better. No, that's not the reason why we read the scriptures. We read them because we look for Jesus in them. And when we see him, we treasure and cherish him. Our hearts are humbled and we say, I need a savior. And then we say, thank you for being that savior. Now, I want to say something that may be mildly controversial if you're an ultra rule keeper but if you're reading through the scriptures annually and you struggle like maybe that's in leviticus it's okay you can just speed read flip through rapidly right like focus on the new testament at first you know if you don't 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 be like i'm not a good christian because leviticus is is dry and difficult like Everybody struggles there. They do. And if they don't admit it, maybe they're judging you, okay? <laughs> or judging me right now. I can, I can feel it maybe a little bit. No, anyway, I'm kidding. Um, focus, on, focus on asking the question, what, not what does this mean to me, but what does this mean for me? Who is Jesus in relation to me? How is God showing grace? How is he, he showing his goodness towards me? And then focus on its meaning and the applications in your life. And just work through, but stay connected to what it is that God is saying in the scriptures. How then do we abide, we pray, we stay in the scriptures, we love the other branches, right? Trees, uh, particularly like these Leland cypresses that I have in, in my yard, they tend to like put out thousands of branches on the bottom. And, and some of them, man, they can spread. You lose like nine feet of your yard if you just let them grow. You know why they, the branches on the bottom grow so long? Because, because as the tree grows up, the branches at the top uh, start to emerge and then the ones on the bottom need to, to grow outward. All the stuff on the bottom kind of dies except on the very end because they're being crowded out by all the other branches. If, if a Leland Cypress truly 
loved itself. If all the branches loved one another, they'd all be like at an even height. They'd all be, it would be, look like a, a bottle cleaning brush, you know? Just be like, like a Lego tree. And if you look at the church, sometimes we kind of look like that. We're kind of crowding each other out all the time, you know, like, like judging each other or not, not getting close to one another for fear that, we might, fear that we might get hurt and not responding to each other's needs because we're too busy or just breezing past one another, not caring, focusing completely on ourselves. Jesus says this, John 15, 12, in terms of, of how we abide. 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 3. Whoever does not love abides in death. This is a, ought to be a clear sign to us of whether or not we are remaining in Christ. Is there, is there love that can grow? And then how do we continually abide? We focus not on knowledge acquisition all the time and not on, on, on being uh, unjudgeable or you know like always maintaining the exterior image. No, we get involved in the lives of others and we love them. Love one another within the family. 1 John 4.16 says this, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, sometimes Christians have a way of saying things that are dumb that eventually make their way into praise songs, right? <laughs> now, that's not, I, I have not found this one yet, but if it, if it continues and it's not constantly rooted out like maybe it will be on someone's worship album someday and hopefully we won't hear it because because the christian radio people won't pray it but have you ever heard a christian say something like i love them but i don't like them you ever heard that i love that person but i don't really like them that's just doesn't work we might not like some behavior but, but there, is no, there is no way in which we love someone where we like, I love that person, but I will no longer have anything to do with them. I, that is not love. That is conflict. That is, that is unforgiveness or stress. And it eventually needs to be addressed and worked through and handled. We need to love one another as believers. How do you get past being unloving if you struggle? Well, you commit to see with new eyes. You look at someone with the eyes of 2 Corinthians 5.17, you say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If they confess Christ and they give evidence of being saved, then they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And you see that person then as someone who you need to help along in the race, in the journey. You partner with them. You love them for Jesus' sake. You say, Lord, you've called me to love this person, even though I find them unlovable, but I will do it for you. And you know what happens often? Eventually, you forget that that's your motivation, and you realize that you actually like this person. That happens. Finally, another way to get past being unloving is to love because you know grace. Because you look within, and you say, man, there is some pretty unlovable stuff in there. And yet God 
proclaims his love for me, I will love them. We resist being transplanted into another vine. That's another way to abide. The Bible says, 1 John 1, 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John 3, 6 through 8 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now what does this mean? That you can't have some kind of besetting sin that you struggle with? No, that's not what it means, because that's all of us on some level, if we're honest. It means that we consistently and regularly have to grieve when we sin and say, that is a sin, and I repent of it, and Lord, I come back to you, and I ask you to take this thing from me. Teach me to fight. Teach me to believe. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there's always a way of escape, and that you want me to endure this, and that you're always faithful and that I can overcome it, and not just to say, well, that's the way that I am. Yes, we're all like that. We all struggle with sin. We're not allowed to say that's okay and just let it, let it go. Practicing sin is when, when we say, I know God disapproves of this, but I can't or won't or will not overcome it. I refuse. It's just got to be okay. Not ready to deal with it now. Not going to do it. God's just going to have to be happy with me. That's not abiding. That's rebellious. So we need to remain in the light. That might mean being regularly ongoing, on a regular basis, broken over something going on in your life. Keeping focused on the vine. If I were a branch... And being connected to the branch were like of the ultimate importance. I think I would do this all day long. I'd like be like, grapes over here, right? How we doing on the grapes? How we doing on the vine? Grape, vine. Grape, vine. Keeping focused on the vine means that we are constantly referring and coming back to Jesus. Again, Leviticus is great, and understanding biblical laws is great. But Christians can get lost in the maze of understanding doctrine sometimes. Orthodox, good, solid theology is ultimate and, and, and of great importance. But if we forget that the, that the doctrine of who Jesus is... And the gospel itself, that he went to the cross and took our sins, that we don't deserve life from God, that, that, that we don't deserve forgiveness. If that moves off the scene and we get focused on something like spiritual gifts or, 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 or you know, predestination or any, any of these, if we're like, I'm going to figure out this theological problem and that's going to become the only drum in my kit, I'm just going to bang it endlessly, we lose the plot. We have to remain focused on the fact that all that we have comes from Jesus. 1 John 2.24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. We confess the goodness of the grapevine. We say, it is good to be dependent on that. It is good 
When we look and we see the cross, yes, we see an instrument of torture and death invented by the Babylonians, refined by the Romans, but we say that piece of technology created by humanity was the means by which God delivered us in that one moment when Jesus said, it is finished. That is our foundation, and I never move on from my need for that. And so some people might be horrified as our culture moves further and further away from a, from a biblical foundation that we wear an instrument of death around our neck if we do that, or if we put an instrument of death on top of our building. But we see the cross as beautiful. Because while it was our darkest moment, it was God's greatest achievement on our behalf. His greatest grace, our ultimate deliverance. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, 2 John 1, 9. Remain rooted in the cross. Let no one take it from you. This is, this is where I think gospel country, understanding how it, how it means to, to live in the kingdom of God's beloved son, to be transferred out of the domain of darkness and to, to be in this kingdom, we should not see the cross as the door only. It is the door, but it is also the path. And as long as we are on the path, we never move on from our need for the cross. It takes us from beginning to end. We don't ever move on for our, for our need of the gospel. We always, always, always need it. So remain rooted and connected there. Confess the goodness, not just of the grapevine, but of being a grapevine branch. That means regularly, ongoingly. I don't mean self-torture and talking yourself down and saying, like, I'm such a worthless, horrible, pathetic sinner. No, you have been saved by grace if you've put your faith and trust in that. And you are now a child of God living in the kingdom of God's beloved son. But remembering, you were so kind to do this for me. And it is so good to be here. And I'm only here because of your grace. That's what it means to remain focused on and rooted in the vine. But finally, look at what Jesus says here in John 15, 10. And I believe that we ought to not get under a pile of pain and frustration, but to say, if he is the vine and he is the source and I am a branch, then I must keep this in my focus. I must, I must strip away all that would confuse and not make a mistake here, but focus specifically on his words. Look at what he says in John 15, 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now the old law in the Old Testament was given to show what a perfect Messiah would look like. 
Someone who could obey God completely and never sin and be without stain and be a perfect representative for humanity. And none of us can do that. None of us can keep that law. Not one. The law is given in the Old Testament to demonstrate to us that we are sinners. And so when we hear the Ten Commandments read, when God says, you shall, we ought to feel the sting and the pain as if we've, been, we've had hot water thrown on us. Like, I have broken these commands. But when Jesus comes, he teaches us, this is what Romans 13 says, that the one who has loved has fulfilled the law. That's Romans 13. You can look it up. I'm not making that up. Jesus says that the one who loves him will keep his commandments. And so with an air of gratitude and focusing on love and not on achieving my own perfection, I keep focused on this truth, that the secret of abiding is obeying. The secret of abiding is obeying, plain and simple. I trust that what my God commands me to do is good, and I trust that my righteousness comes from him, and I trust that the foundation of everything good in my life is his work, and that I exist to bring glory to God as I am connected to him. And connected to him, he produces in me obedience. And I see his commands as good, and I say, that is the way I will live. Plain and simple. Joyous cooperation. Not slavish fear of punishment. Not a desire to fill my basket with good things so that when I see him in heaven, I say, look at these grapes I made you. I deserve to be here. When I see him, I say, look what you did through me. You're amazing. Thank you. And we, we, we feel the goodness and the greatness of that. We walk the path that Jesus walked. He said that he obeyed his father's commandments. He kept his father's commandments and made his abode in his father's love. We do the same. We keep his commandments and remain in his love that our joy may be full. We follow the path that Jesus is walking because without walking that path, we lose sight of him. Because he just keeps going and going and going and going, right? And if we're not moving and following him, we lose sight of him. And without following him, we make no progress. Without following, we don't pass through the doors that open as we suffer and encounter difficulty. We don't, we don't move to new vistas as, of trust as we learn to say, look, okay, I've got this kind of following down. I'm, I'm doing that in, in strength and in grace. I'm being obedient. But there are these things that terrify me. Risk-taking of any kind is, is scary. Unless we risk independence, we don't ever learn what's on the other side of the door. Does that make sense? We need to, we need to step through and say, what does it look like to obey in this situation? Unless we do that, we don't grow. We remain behind. I have just a short amount of time left on my own self-imposed time limit. Socially imposed time limit. But it's mostly my burden. 
Let me ask you this question. You might be worried, thinking, have I been obedient enough? Have I, have I done well enough that he has stayed with me? Am I measuring up to the standard? I would say this. You need to attack that root of fear with everything that you know of the scriptures. And if you don't have enough ammunition, you need to continue to consult the scriptures on what it says about the attitude of the Father and the attitude of Jesus. Because he is good. Our Savior is kind. On considering the character of Jesus, the character of the Savior, the idea that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that, that God made Jesus to be sin for us, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Believing and knowing that that is who we are by faith caused Charles Wesley to erupt in his hymn. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. He, his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. If you think that God will run away and leave you, then you are not going to trust well enough to remain in him. Let me say this emphatically, that he remains faithful. Always, always, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says it. 1 John 1.9 says it, that he is faithful. And he will remain faithful 1 Peter 1.23 says that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. What's rooted in us will not die. And so what we need to do is to say, okay, if he'll never leave me or forsake me, I keep myself from those things that distract me and I walk that path of faith-filled obedience. Not to stay saved, not to earn salvation, but for growth and joy. As I close, let me just address three different kinds of people who might be here this morning. If you're in crisis and you're thinking, I'm not sure, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, then believe that God is faithful. If you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, let me say this to you, repent of your sins. Just agree with God that they're wrong and put your trust in him that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're in crisis questioning your, your own worth, take courage and abide in Jesus. Rest there. Psalm 31, 24 says this, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. If you're in a, a, a good state, if you're like, man, everything just seems to be going well, I would say this, take care. The psalmist says, the proverbist, rather, Psalm, Proverbs 30, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Stay humble, whatever state you are in. Generally, it's the state of, of, of having much, 
that tends us to spiritual laziness. To the one who's in a state of strength, then you are just crushing the Christian life right now, I would say this. Take heed. Paul says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Each and every one of us, the answer is the same. Focus on the vine. He is the center. He is the source. He is the place where strength comes from. And so cling closely to him. Put faith and trust in all that he says from index, table of contents to maps in the scripture. And then walk in faithful, humble, loving, joyful obedience all of your days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to open the word. We pray that you would rid us of two errors. First, the error to think that we have to do this on our own and that we just have to be good. But secondly, the error that makes us say that we have put our faith and trust in Christ and therefore nothing else is required. Somewhere in the center there is abiding. And so we pray that you would help us to walk in faith and trust. To know what you say and then to appropriate it personally and live it out. We pray for your grace on this room, Lord. There's a strong possibility that there's someone here who does not know Christ and who's trusting in their own strength or their own goodness to get them to heaven. Maybe they hear your voice and they know that you're calling them and urging them to repent. I pray that you would help them to lay down their defenses right now, to put their faith and trust in you and to be reborn. Father, we thank you that you made the law of Christ simple. Love one another. We pray that you would help us to see that as our mandate and our mission and to walk it out, Lord, each and every day. We thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the vine and that we are his branches. May we appreciate that. In Jesus' name, amen.